This program is brought to you by PersonalLifeMedia.com. Hi, and welcome to Green Talk, a podcast series from GreenLivingIdeas.com. Green Talk helps listeners in their efforts to lead more eco-friendly lifestyles through interviews with top vendors, authors, and experts from around the world. We discuss the critical issues facing the global environment today, as well as the technologies, products, and practices that you can employ to go greener in every area of your life. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening in today on Green Living Ideas, Green Talk Radio. This is Sean Daly, Editor-in-Chief of GreenLivingIdeas.com. And today I have with me Shay Solomon, who is the author of Little House on a Small Planet from Lions Press and is also the co-founder of the Small House Society. Shay, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Yeah, it's nice to have you. Well, you know, uh, I, I know that I know that you guys also had an appearance. The Small House Society had an appearance recently on, on Oprah. So you guys are uh, congratulations on getting the message out to the media. Um, probably a good place to start for our listeners today is just what is this whole small house thing about small house movement, and uh, maybe you can just kind of elaborate a little bit on on you know where that's started uh, and and sort of uh, where it's going. Well, for me, it started with natural building and green building. I've been a builder for about 12 or 15 years, and I noticed that pretty much all the work I was doing was for second, third, and fourth houses. They were increasingly large houses with very few people in them. And I think this is an experience that a lot of people have had, that on the one hand, we say we're building something green. On the other hand, we're building something that arguably is not really necessary. And so it's it's a it's a big question that that you know, sort of a soul searching question that builders and architects have to ask themselves. It's How can I really contribute to a better world? Yeah, and, and this is a really important question because you know it's funny actually it's it's funny that one of the co-founders of this organization the, his impetus for starting it is that he's a consultant for a lot of even green builders. Mm-hmm. Uh, he does a lot of business consulting and he said you know I'm tired of helping people trash the environment by building big houses and I want to do something in the other direction. So that literally that was a quote from one of the founders of this company, and I think we all had our personal reasons, but, you know, I I think it's important to, to question what essentially has been a fundamental premise and almost, in a way, a, a sense of entitlement, I think, that, that a lot of um, Americans have, that we, we grow up in this society with this belief that bigger is better um, from everything from, you know, supersizing to, we supersize everything in the society. Yeah, and even... It's even true in the green building industry mm-hmm. that people, some people, not for everyone, obviously, not for most people, but there's a certain aspect of the green building industry that says the bigger the greenhouse, the more green it is, which is actually not true. You know, I would suggest that big greenhouse is kind of an oxymoron. If you have two people living in three or four or 5,000 square feet, it typically uses far more energy than that, the same two or three people living in a just a regular old house. Yeah. It doesn't have any green features. Sure. Just because the size. I mean, you know. 
Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, just the size alone, it, it's, you know, it requires more resources to build it, and then it requires more resources to maintain it and heat it or cool it or all of these things, and uh, just the consumption, and then also, you know, you're just taking up land. So, you know, but it's, it's an important thing, because I think for a lot of people, unless you're already familiar with this, this concept, it's, it's really radical. It's a radical change in thinking, but I think a very important one that, and I think it's one that at any, whatever degree people start to incorporate it into their consciousness, it's important to, to at least have the thought of going, being tapped on the shoulder and going, hey, do you really need that massive house that you've got? Right. Uh, you know, because it's, it's just sort of what we do on, on autopilot. Yeah, it's, it's what a certain proportion of us do. Now, I have noticed while we were researching the book, we spent about six or eight years almost researching the book. And interestingly, there is a whole group of people who, you know, when we talk about this, they say, well, of course. And they usually actually aren't builders or architects. They're often just regular people who say, yeah, I know from my utility bill. I live in an apartment, and, you know, my best friend lives in a big house, and even though she has all these energy-saving appliances, my energy bill is much, much lower because, you know, I live in an apartment. So some of these things actually people sort of know because they look at their own utility bills. Yeah, so that's sort of the canary in the coal mine is what you're suggesting. <laughs> look, look there first. Just look at your utility bill. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know that uh, I know that my own got quite painful a, a while back, and uh, you know, we 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 bought into our own house, um, you know, at a time when the market was really good in California to do so, which is kind of a rare thing in California to have a good market, but uh-huh. uh, for real estate. But you know, it's as we have we have children and so forth. But we've really started to look at. Um, We've consolidated our own business and our home life and everything into under one roof, but we've really started to look at, you know, what really do we need, you know, and you start to look at un- unused rooms in your home and things, and you think, wow, that's just, you know, completely wasteful. Um, and, you know, so though we've really consolidated our entire business and home existence, we've started to really look at it. And I think a lot of people don't do that until a lot of times when they're in empty nest syndrome or they're going to retirement years, they think, okay, now we'll downsize. And that, that, that's that, great that you've done that, Sean. That's absolutely right that a lot of people wait. Of course, many people with the emptiness syndrome go ahead and finally have the savings built up to build a huge house, which is the irony of retirement in our country. But what you've done is really wonderful that you've looked at your house and you've said, hey, we can have, it sounds like you have a home office there. You're using the your house in a kind of multi-use way. Is that right? Yeah, that that's right. That's right. You know, it's and it's and everything. We even moved like you know a martial arts studio that that I built above the garage, and so you know it's like we we put we put we packed as much into the one you know building as we possibly can. But but I have to be honest that even with that, I you know we start going. Gosh, you know we we really don't even need as much as we have, mm-hmm. um, and so we're actually you know we love our home. We absolutely love our home, but we're looking to on a two-year plan to actually move and, and, you know, downsize the house to, to what we really know will be because we're, we're done. We're done having kids. So I know that that's hard for people too if they're in the, they're in the you know, the childbearing years and they're having children and they're, they're not sure exactly maybe how many they're going to have. That becomes a factor. But I think once you've sort of stabilized your existence and you're willing to really look at, okay, exactly what do I need to live in? And as you put out, you point out very well in the book, be happy in. This is a fundamental question is what is required to make you happy? Exactly. Yeah, it's really important to really look at what makes people happy. And usually that's relationships and time for relationships. Or sometimes it's hobbies and time for those hobbies. Or, you know, artwork or going on trips or whatever. There's a variety of things that make people happy. And usually it's not having, it's not their possessions in the long run. 
possessions sort of fade away. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think, well, nothing like having children that impresses that upon one more than it's really about, it becomes about time, you know, right. and, and how little we realize we, we have uh, in those moments. Well, wouldn't you also say, uh, Shay, in a way that, um, the, lar- the larger house trends that have been really dominating uh, the real estate landscape in uh, in America for, for a half, forever, as long as I can remember. Wouldn't you say that also is maybe part of what's contributing to the alienation uh, of people within the home, if there's so much space in the house that you're sort of distant from each other by nature? You know, absolutely. I just um, We just returned from a three-month sort of vacation. I kind of We had sort of maternity leave, and, and we went, of all things, to Costa Rica. We were in this tiny village where there were no cars. It was on an island, so you couldn't get a car onto the island. And we just noticed that the most basic situation there is that people's houses are so small that people are really close to each other. So the kids, there are about 100 kids on the island, they can just play everywhere, run everywhere, and they're right next to, you know, within a three-minute walk of 30 other children. And that, that really changes your whole life when you can be close to other people. That's what people in the small house movement often realize. Now, some people are the poet type that wants to be in a tiny, tiny little house way out, you know, in a big field. Mm -hmm. But many people are people who've done kind of like yourself, and they've looked at their own house and they figured out, how can I use this house more efficiently? The most efficient thing to do is to double the number of people who are in your house. So some people do that simply by adding borders to their house or by having their children live with them, even though they're adults, and realizing that's ecological. Another thing that people are doing is they're dividing their house into apartments, and that's something interesting. You'll enjoy reading the book, um, that section of the book, if you're interested in figuring out how to make a house that you already have efficient. Oh, so there is there is a section on on taking uh, optimizing your existing dwelling. Oh, absolutely. That's about a third of the book. But when I, when we started researching the book, we started out with the idea of these small houses and new house design. But as we travel around the country, we realized that you know there's 10.4 million vacant houses in the United States. You know, there's some gains to be made in new housing. However, the existing housing, taking that housing and making it more efficient, is really I think where the biggest green gains can be made. It's very exciting. Seattle, for instance, as well as Boston, a number of cities have made it easier and easier for people to divide their houses into apartments. You know, there's that old issue where people worry, well, well, we have working-class people move into our upper-class neighborhood if we, you know, divide our house into apartments. But so many people are finding the benefits. For instance, um, a way, it's a way to take care of people's, you know, elderly parents is to have a separate apartment. Other people realize once they have this extra apartment, they can afford their mortgage without so much worry. There's just so many benefits to it, and it's the easiest way to create more density. Instead of going into a neighborhood, buying people out, taking down all the buildings and putting up apartments, cities have found, well, if we just allow people to turn their garage into an apartment or divide their house into, you know, we can have higher density. So zoning laws, uh, I'm sure, come into play here in terms of what you're permitted to do. 
Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, and hopefully there'll be some revisiting of those to accommodate this too, because obviously our laws are designed very much around sort of the default paradigm with the way we purchase homes and the types of homes we live in, and and uh, and all of that. So uh, th- these things will hopefully move together. I, one thing I notice is uh, we travel in, in Europe um, usually, hopefully once every year and a half or so, if if not more frequently. And I, I really one of the things I really enjoy when I'm over there is that there's sort of natural, uh, you know, smaller living. It's the the way that homes were, were built in many countries in Europe, um, you know, for, for centuries. And mm-hmm. so you've got that sort of by default, but it also changes the feeling of being in a, well, first of all, feeling that one is in a community as opposed to a suburban isolated existence, which is, I right. think, what our, our housing, our default housing, house building, uh, you know, designs do and, mm-hmm. uh, and our, our, you know, our city planning. Uh, and then, and what that also lends itself to is a, a greater sense of a sort of intimacy within the home of the family. And I think that that's one of the things that, you know, that these things are very tied together is that I, I think a, a big house is a great place to hide from people or, or be <laughs> hidden <laughs> or be hidden from people. Absolutely. I've heard real estate agents refer to very large houses as the divorce home. Yeah. And this home has the left, the east wing and the west wing. And that way two people can live together without really ever seeing each other. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, interestingly, I, I um, met briefly a contractor who was very successful. He could live in whatever sort of house he wanted to. But he and his wife decided when their children became teenagers to downsize into a much smaller house. And the reason was, is he said, I'm seeing my kids less and less. I want to be able to eavesdrop on their telephone conversations. <laughs> I don't want them running around because they were in a very large house. Right. And they downsized into, you know, not something that's so horribly small, but I think maybe 1,500 square feet, and they're a family of five. So, you know. Yeah, well, that, and much to the chagrin of the children, but it's like, that's a funny, uh, it's a funny statement, but it, it brings up a good point is that they really, you, you lose touch, I think, in, in a very large home where it does facilitate. I love that, that term, the divorce home, because that's what it feels like whenever I'm in somebody's home that's designed that way. And of course, as you state in the book, I'm sure there's lots of ways you can, you know, design the home with the same square footage, but in different ways. But in a home that feels like that, it's like people have carved out their own niche existences within the house. And that really speaks to the bigger picture, I think, of choose to live Live with people, whether it's you know friends, families, renters, wife, whoever. Ch- you know, choose to live with people in an intimate space that you can deal with. You know, right. have, have enough space for yourself, but you know, your space can be the outdoors. It doesn't have to be a you know a massive wing of a home. Um, right, that, know, that's you know. absolutely right. There's a whole chapter in the book also about creating a room of your own. There's a study that was done in the Midwest about why women were not willing to give up their cars even when there was excellent public transportation. Mm-hmm. And they found it was because women who were mothers of families um, just don't feel like there's any space for them. And it doesn't matter what size their house is. They could have a 4,000-square-foot house. They will still feel like there's no room of their own. So the car is the sanctuary. The car becomes their sanctuary. Amazing. There's also a couple companies, um, they're both based in California, that build teepees, another one that builds uh, Tony's Tea Houses, and interestingly, they found that their main clients are women who have very large homes. They buy a teepee, they put it in their backyard, that becomes their private space. Yeah. Well, one of the things we talked about with regards to the topic of alternative energies on this show, which is a pretty popular topic, is the idea of don't start, even solar installers will tell you, don't start with solar, start with efficiency <laughs> and right. go from there before you're even considering that because that's the most, and so really what we're talking about is life efficiency right. at a very global macro level. That, that's absolutely right. Yeah, we, we know now um, 
through through physics and through a variety of types of studies that time equals space equals energy. So it's always a trade-off. If you're going to have a whole lot of space, you're going to need a whole lot more energy, and it's going to take a lot more of your time. Absolutely. So, you know, if you have a huge house, it takes a lot more time to clean it. It takes more time to just even walk across the house as you're looking for your keys. There's some very simple (laughs) advantages that people find when they move into very, you know, some of the people in the small house society, including one of the two of the co-founders, live in extremely small you know, in houses the size of some people's bathrooms. So wow. they say, well, now my life is perfectly efficient. These are single people in mm-hmm. their, their bathrooms. Right. But, um, but they're living in 120, 140 square feet, and they're saying it's just made their life so much better. One of them even has said that he lost quite a bit of weight because he was in, you know, and became more physically fit because he was in such a small house because it encouraged him to get out of his house. Right. You know, he had his house. He has his place to sleep. He feels good. In it. Beautiful little houses. Perfect. You know, another nice thing about small houses is you can create a little masterpiece because it doesn't matter if you're going to use, you know, the most expensive bamboo flooring you can find. You're only doing it for 140 square feet. I never thought of that. That's very true. You could really use the best materials that you would possibly be able to find on you, the market. You can, exactly. Yeah. Stained glass windows if you want. You know, anything. You can have your faucets in gold. Yeah, I saw I saw a picture uh, the other day of, uh, actually it was yesterday when I was on the web looking at the smaller homes movement and some of the example houses, and some of them were really amazing. I saw one that looked like it was out on an ice floe. It wasn't just the angle of the photo. Right. <laughs> it's a very, very small house. You might have seen the same photo. It's um, making Well, it that's around. a good point. You know, the, the small um, homes movement is also part of that is people who live on houseboats. They've been doing this for a long time. They've found that, wow, around the San Francisco Bay Area, yeah, the number of people have beautiful little houses. Yeah. And they, some people say that's been the best time of their life to well, be in such I, small quarters. Yeah, I think so. I think it really comes down to, I, I really believe that, I, I think people should just question whether or not why they're living in a larger home. Is it because they really need the space or is it because the people, is it because they're, they're buffering their existence? And that may or may not be true for everybody, but I think it's a question worthy of asking, you know, and that if you decide that, that you could live in a smaller home, one of the things I would say from my own personal experience is just that, that it is something that can potentially, you know, if you're in a situation with people that you either are close to or want to get closer to, um, you know, and there's no issues there, which is sort of a separate matter if there is. But if mm-hmm. you're in that situation, it's a way to really um, bond more closely and live a more intimate existence. Absolutely. There's one person who, who's in this movement who's been married for about 60 years. She said, if you're married and you want to stay married and you have a problem, you need to take care of that problem right now. Yeah. You can't put it off. Absolutely true. Marriage is right now. Yeah, there's no there's no delay. There's no delay. There's no delay. (laughs) Every every day you wake up there together. So yeah, Yeah. very true. Yeah, well, I I really appreciate this because I do think that the small homes movement, uh, you know, in addition to its importance in terms of the global environment and sustainability, this really represents a fundamental potential, fundamental change in thinking that is occurring, and that I hope we reach a tipping point on where at whatever level people. Uh, choose to implement it in their lives that they at least uh, enter these thoughts into their their mind, and so that becomes factored in. I think it's gonna it's gonna help everyone in the long run. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It really fits in also with the new economics movement, which questions how are we going to provide a livelihood for everyone if most of what we need we've already made. You know, we've made enough women's 
dress shoes to last us 200 years at least. <laughs> we should stop making them all together. You know, we have yeah. all this production that's gone on, but it's been the way that we've rewarded each other. And so now we have to really look in a deep way at our economy and say, well, if we don't have enough productive work for everyone to do, what other types of work are we going to be able to have so that we can distribute um, the economy in yeah. such a way that everyone can participate? Yeah, you know, important, important questions all. Yeah. Well, Shay Solomon, I want to thank you for being on the program today. It was a delight having you. Shay Solomon you. is the author of the... Um, the book Little House on a Small Planet from Lions Press, and also the co-founder of the Small House Society. Uh, thanks again for being on the program. Yeah, love let me just back. mention that you can look at the book Little House on a Small Planet on the website of that name. Okay. So it's littlehouseonasmallplanet.com. Great. I'm glad you mentioned that. And then Small House Society is smallhousesociety.org. Okay, great. Well, like I said, we'd love to have you back again sometime to continue this very fascinating conversation. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to talk with you. It's a wonderful website and it's a wonderful service here giving to the world. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. Okay, bye, Shay. Bye-bye. Thanks, as always, to everyone listening in today. Remember, for more free on-demand podcasts, articles, videos, and other information related to living a greener lifestyle, visit our website at www.greenlivingideas.com. We'd also love to hear your comments, feedback, and questions. Send us an email at editors at greenlivingideas.com. Find more great shows like this on personallifemedia.com.